0: Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by Massimo. At Massimo, your patient's safety is top priority. Always be ready for what's next with Massimo Patient Safety Net. Powered by clinically proven Massimo SET Pulse Oximetry, Patient Safety Net centralizes the display of continuous high-fidelity patient data and delivers alarm notifications directly to care providers. Combined, this system can transform a care area to provide another layer of continuous monitoring. Data collected over 10 years at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center found that use of Massimo Set and Patient Safety Net helped reduce ICU transfers, rapid response team activations, and costs in multiple published studies. Discover how Patient Safety Net can help support both your patient and care team needs. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. Now let's proceed to this month's podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the August Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary and Podcast. I'm Rich Branson, the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice by Cazoli et al. evaluates the oral secretion scale as a method for determining non-invasive ventilation intolerance in subjects with neuromuscular disease. The study included 137 subjects followed until death or tracheostomy over nearly a decade. The OSS evaluates an individual's ability to manage oral secretions. They reported that an OSS of one predicted NIV failure and the need for tracheostomy. Bendit contributes an accompanying editorial detailing the strengths and weaknesses of the study, including the long period of observation and potential for confounders introduced as physicians and practice patterns changed. But a score such as the OSS is needed to help make decisions for patients and families about the determination for a tracheostomy. Shea and others evaluated drug delivery during mechanical ventilation using a breath actuated jet nebulizer on the wet side of the humidifier. In a bench model, they evaluated drug delivery with heated humidification and a bypass heat and moisture exchanger. They found that breath actuation provided a predictable dose regardless of ventilator settings or the type of humidifier. Don provides some insights into the use of inhaled medications during mechanical ventilation in an accompanying editorial. He describes the type of the devices and the position in the circuit and how each of these can impact the drug delivered to the patient. Zeus, Attak and colleagues evaluate the impact of tracheostomy stoma cleaning solutions on the incidence of stoma site infection in pediatric subjects. In this retrospective study, they reviewed infection rates in subjects who used either 0.25% acetic acid, sterile water, or sterile saline for twice-daily tracheostomy stoma care. Reporting on 102 subjects, they found that the acetic acid cleaning solutions reduce the evidence of infection by about a third. Terry Volsko's accompanying editorial highlights the importance of research in tracheostomy care, a topic that has an anemic evidence base. COVID-19 continues to challenge our medical infrastructure and overwhelm critical care units even today. A proposed solution for ventilator shortages has been ventilation of two patients with a single ventilator. In a third paper in Restorate Care that Restorate Care has published on this subject, Kay Fitz et al. described a lump parameter computational model evaluation of shared ventilation. The model predicted tidal volume distribution within 10% of a previously published data in respiratory Care across a range of compliance and resistance settings using both volume as well as pressure control. They suggest that matching patients based on a PEEP-FIO2 table could reduce concerns related to uneven distribution of ventilation during shared ventilation. Um, This continues to be an area of interest, but I think even to this day needs to be a last ditch effort um, after other resources have been exhausted. Cavazali et al found that extending the time from bronchodilator administration to assessment of bronchodilator response increased the yield of spirometry for the diagnosis of asthma in older adults. They found that an additional 15% of subjects demonstrated a positive bronchodilator response after this later timeframe. Late response was associated with patients who were older and those who were suspected to have asthma. Sai and colleagues evaluated a smartphone application based on national asthma guidelines as an educational t- tool to improve subjects' knowledge of disease and treatment. Using a series of assessments at baseline and every other month, up to six months, they reported improved asthma knowledge, reduced healthcare utilization, and improved outcomes. Hansen et al. used the Danish National Registry to evaluate the impact of comorbidities on outcomes in COPD. They evaluated comorbidity clusters in over 70,000 subjects. 81% of subjects had a chronic comorbidity with hypertension the most common in just less than half of subjects. Their data suggests that heart disease in COPD subjects was a prognostic fa- factor for health vulnerability. Martin Boat and colleagues evaluated subjects with ALS using overnight recordings of pulse oximetry to determine if nocturnal desaturation predicted adverse outcomes. Desaturation was defined as a pulse oximetry oxygen saturation of less than 90%. In a group of 76 subjects, one quarter had frequent desaturations. Subjects in the desaturation group had a higher risk of respiratory failure and poorer outcomes. Oichi and others evaluated the effects of manual rib cage compression on mucus clearance in a ventilated porcine model. Gas exchange, mucus clearance, and hemodynamics were determined following rib cage compression and in control animals. They concluded that manual rib cage compression and closed suctioning was safe and led to increased mucus clearance. However, there was no effect on gas exchange. Adiki et al. evaluated the impact of high flow nasal cannula on all function in subjects with respiratory failure. Subjects had olfactory function assessed before and after high flow nasal cannula use. In 30 subjects, they determined odor threshold, odor discrimination, odor identification, and global olfactory score. They report that subjects with acute respiratory failure had relative olfactory dysfunction compared to healthy controls. The use of high flow nasal cannula to relieve hypoxemia in subjects with hypoxemia resulted in an improvement in olfactory function. These data may have important findings now that COVID-19 is often associated with a loss of smell, sense of smell. Rogerson and colleagues evaluated healthcare resource utilization in children requiring prolonged mechanical ventilation via tracheostomy. In a group of 50 subjects over a two-year period, they collected data on demographics, resource utilization, and outcomes. Their findings demonstrated that subjects with neurologic diagnoses had shorter hospital lengths of stay, and lower hospital costs compared with those with respiratory diagnoses. However, there were no differences in outcomes in these groups. Chenot and others evaluated the ventilatory support of neonates undergoing operative procedures. Hyperventilation in neonates is associated with changes in cerebral blood flow and has potential important consequences. Hyperventilation was seen in one-third of subjects and 13% of subjects had severe hyperventilation with a PaCO2 of less than 30 millimeters of mercury. This observational trial demonstrates frequent hyperventilation but no harm in these subjects. Lewidell evaluated sequential application of non invasive ventilation after early extubation in subjects following repair of aortic dissection. This study used a historical control followed by a treatment group receiving early extubation in subjects who failed their first spontaneous breathing trial and sequential NIV use. The NIV group had a reduced duration of invasive ventilation and ICU length of stay without any change in reintubation rate or other important outcomes. Tran and colleagues performed a retrospective cohort study to evaluate the impact of ambulatory status on disposition and outcomes in subjects following prolonged critical illness. Over a four year period, ambulatory subjects were five times more likely to be discharged home than subjects who never were able to ambulate. The authors suggest that early mobility should be emphasized to improve outcomes. However, severity of illness may preclude mo- mobility. Volpe and colleagues provide an invited review on airway clearance techniques in mechanically ventilated patients. They review strengths and weaknesses of ventilator hyperinflation, expiratory ribcage compression, a positive end-expiratory pressure to zero end-expiratory pressure maneuver, the PEEP to ZEEP maneuver, and mechanical insufflation-exufflation techniques. In addition, they describe the use of electrical impedance tomography to monitor regional secretion displacement, lung aeration, and regional lung mechanics. This new monitoring technique gives us a good opportunity to look at the secretion removal techniques that we've used for decades to determine which ones are valuable. Figueroa et al. provide a systematic review of inspiratory muscle training in COPD subjects, and Martin and colleagues provide a narrative review on the impact of hyperoxia in critical illness. Finally, Gackle et al. provide a narrative review of the impact of oral health on lung function. They describe common dental conditions and potential mechanisms by which poor oral health may contribute to lung disease. We appreciate you subscribing to the Restory Care Podcast, and as COVID-19 continues to grow in the South and in the West, um, we wish you the best of luck and to be safe. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.